Matthew 10, let's read verse 32 down to verse number 42. I would ask you to read verse 32 and 33 with me as we begin this section of scriptures. Our Lord says in verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Our Lord goes on to say, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a father's foes shall be they of his own household, but he that Loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that rejecteth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Our Father and our God, we are so blessed to be safe today, to know that the Creator is our Father who loved us so much that you would send your Son into this world to die on the sinner and the guilty's behalf, that you would make us who were estranged from God, that you would make the enemy your child, that you would save us and promise us eternal life through Jesus Christ. We, we rejoice that we have a day to set aside, especially to show you that you are valuable to us, that we treasure you. And as we gaze upon the Word of God, may we gaze upon the God of the Word, And may our hearts be entrenched with the glory of Christ. May you fill us with understanding of how precious Christ is. Forgive us, God, when we place things of this world in front of you. Show us ourself as you show us yourself through Scripture. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. History knows them as the 40 martyrs of Sebasti. They were soldiers that were part of the famed 12th legion of the Roman Empire. And it was during the reign of Emperor Lucinius that he sent forth the decree that you had to offer a sacrifice to the emperor. Emperor worship was going on in Rome. They believed the emperor to be a god at least a demigod, and these 40 soldiers said to the emperor, you can have our bodies, and you can have our armor and our swords, but our heart's allegiance is to Jesus Christ. This infuriated the emperor. So he personally came to where these men were, and he said, renounce your faith in God, and you will be spared from death. 
but they would not. And so he had them strip off their armor and in the middle of the night, strip off their clothes and march them out on the middle of a lake to freeze to death in slow pain. That night, they built even a bath, a warm bath, heated at the edge of the lake to try to entice the men to come in. These men were great soldiers and they didn't want to lose 40 of them, but he would not recant. And there was one man who finally, under the pressure of the cold and to spare his own life, he came and rushed and he fell to that warmth. But what happened next was shocking. History recounts, this is factual history, the officer in charge that night was so moved by the scene that under the conviction, because the men were chanting their faith in Christ, that this chief officer came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when that man rushed off the ice, the officer took off his armor and clothes and rushed onto the ice. And that night there were 40 men who chanted, 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. And when the morning came, there were 40 dead men that they carried off the ice. These 40 men are remembered throughout history because, and we talk of them 1,700 years later, this happened in 320 AD, because they valued Christ more than their own lives. I would want to ask you this morning, how much value have you placed on the Lord Jesus Christ? How valuable is he to you? I love to read the burning heart of the psalmist who speak of their great love and desire for the Lord. In Psalms 84, verse 2, he says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Think about Psalms 42. He says, As the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63 continues with that same passion and zeal for God. It's the Psalms 43 is, or 63 is known as the, the Psalm of the Burning Hearts. In Psalms chapter, or Philippians chapter 3, we see Paul who had that same understanding. He understood the value of Christ. Paul, who before he became a believer, was a persecutor of Christians. He so hated Christ that he put Christians to death and imprisoned them and persecuted them relentlessly. But one day on the road to Damascus, he was met by that presence from heaven, Jesus Christ, and he fell to the ground. He said the brightness was that above the sun. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And in that moment, Saul had the shock of his life when he realized the God he thought he was serving was actually the God he was persecuting. And he confessed and said, Lord, then what will you have me to do? What came out of the lips of Paul the Apostle that we know him as is the reflection of a soul that comes in contact with the realization of who Christ is. When you know Christ for who he is, you're going to know yourself for who you are. And in that moment of time, there were two statements that came out of Paul's mouth that reflect the statements of anyone who understands who Christ is. He said, Lord, you will confess Jesus as Lord. Salvation is to confess Christ as Lord. I have a new brother in Christ this morning, a 
A gentleman named Tug was in my class this morning, and he called out the Christ, that Jesus Christ to be the Lord of his life. We had a man yesterday calling out the Christ for salvation, sitting there this morning at Table 1 in Foundations, and, and just seeing over and over the souls that have come to Christ. We praise God for that, because when you get saved, it's calling out to Christ to be the Lord of your life. Secondly, your response will be this, what will you have me to do? You become obedient. You become surrendered to the will of God. And, and that's what Paul did. In Philippians 3, Paul's going through all of his credentials, everything he ever achieved in life, all of his earthly successes. And in Romans, or in Philippians chapter 3, after he goes through all of his resumes that he had created with his life, in verse 7 he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dung that I may win Christ. He added up everything the world offered him, everything he had achieved, and he says, when I calculate that in comparison to knowing Christ, it is but scrubulon in the Greek, it is but human waste, it is dung, it is meaningless and worthless. The value of Christ so exceeds everything the world has to offer us that that would be the comparison. And so why is Christ so valuable? What makes Jesus so valuable? First, I would propose that it is his intrinsic value. It is that Jesus is God. He is the creator. He is the eternal glorious one. He is the one who spoke the worlds into existence by the word of his power. The Bible says, from him, of him and to him are all things. From him all life came, of him all life consists, and to him all life will be answerable. He is of intrinsic eternal value. Secondly, and, and I would say this, the reason you're still breathing is because he allows you to breathe. That's the valuable attachment. Secondly, it's because his uniqueness. Men who, and, and, and people who are collectors understand the value of of something that is very rare. The more rare an item is, the more valuable it becomes. And I can tell you this, Jesus is so rare, there is no one like him. Thirdly, because of what he can do for us. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. I'm a pastor, but I'm no better than anybody in this room. I can't get to heaven by preaching, serving, doing any good works. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says all the world will be found guilty before God. Revelation 21, 8 says even all liars would have their place in the lake of fire. Judgment is imminent. The only thing keeping me from hell is grace. And if you're not saved, grace is keeping you from hell at this very moment. As Jonathan Edwards said, you're like a spider on the end of a string and there's flames coming up and those flames are close to touching that little thread that's holding you above eternity and it's the grace of God that keeps that. And the only one that can save me is Jesus Christ. We're, we're a thousand miles in the Pacific with a thousand miles in every direction to get to land. We have no hope or ability to get to safety. And then Jesus, he is of intrinsic value, he is of unique, eternal value, and he is salvifically or of salvation, he is the value that keeps us from eternal destruction. Listen, the only way my four girls and my wife get to heaven is because of Jesus. I get to spend forever with my family because of Jesus, how glorious and valuable he is. 
So here in Matthew, our Lord is teaching that we need to recognize his value. This is ultimate reality. This is understanding what is really real. Like Jesus is going to give us some heavy truths this morning. I'm telling you, this is not like a light message. And if you're new to Lighthouse, this is not a light church. We don't do light things around here. God's a heavy issue for us. His word is a big deal to us. And so let me give you four ways in which Christ calls us to value him. And the first is Christ must be valued more than our comfort. Must be valued more than our comfort. I want to take a moment to completely shock some of the young people here today. I understand you can't shock young people this day and these days, but this will shock them. Raise your hand if you grew up when milk was delivered to your home. Raise your hand. Young people, look around. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but look around. Okay. Raise your hand if you grew up and you personally did not have indoor plumbing at some point. The only way to use a restroom was an outhouse. Raise your hand real high. Young people, look around. I know you believe that happened in the 12th century. Okay. I can tell you, they're like, no way. It's impossible. Who grew up without a computer in your home? Raise your hand. Uh, who grew up uh, when you had to look the answer up in the encyclopedia because Google wasn't available to you? Yeah, yeah. Remember that old dusty thing now? It's, we had a man here today. Uh, he came up to me. I was talking to him before the early service. And on his shirt, it says, I don't have to ask Google for the answer. My wife has all the answers. So there you go, man. I said, Kathy, did you buy that for him? She's like, yes. I was like, well, there you go. Yeah. Of course. He wore it proudly. Who grew up with a rotary phone attached to a wall? Raise your hand. I'm going I'm to ask another question. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask this question. Raise your hand if you don't know what a rotary phone is. Be honest. You're in church. Look at them. They, yeah. Yes, sir. They're afraid to raise it. It's the same way in the early. They're like, Put your phone away. All the teens are like this. What's a rotary phone? That's exactly what they're doing, right? You remember when you used to dial and there was like four nines in the phone number? You're like, ah, misdialed it, you know? All over again. Come on. Raise your hand if you use a typewriter because you didn't have a computer, right? Raise your hand if you had to use aluminum foil to get the few channels to pick up on your TV. Yeah. You're spreading them out. You're like, I think it went. Yes, hold it there. And you're like holding it like this. And your dad's like, keep it. And you're like, all right, dad, I got it. I got you. Yes, sir. Raise your hand if you remember driving and pulling out the giant maps because that's how you figured out directions, right? Remember the day when people told you directions and you actually cared to listen, right? People today... You, Anybody under like 30 years old, you're like, well, how do you get there? They're like, here's the address. People that are in the older generation, they'll start giving you directions. You're like, really, you don't have to tell me anything else. I have a phone. I will type it in. And this, my daughter had turned years ago, um, the person that directs you uh, into a, a guy from India's voice. I can't even, I, I could probably talk Indian right now. I mean, I, I can't even understand anybody else at this point. People are like, how do you follow those directions? And I don't know how she did it. I haven't messed around to figure it out, so I just kept it on there. So, 
you know, who, who grew up in a day when cash was the only way to buy something? You just really never had cars and all that. So, so this is, we have, we have so much change in our culture. And, and, and the reason I'm asking those questions is this. <clears throat> there are some things that we appreciate about, appreciate about yesteryear, and, and, and we appreciate about some of the things that went on there. But you know, back in the 1950s, there was only 2.5 billion people in the world. In, in 1900, we finally passed 1 billion. Today, we're over 8.1 billion people in the world. You know, the Bible says in the last days, according to Genesis 6, it says it will be like in the days of Noah. One of the four things about the days of Noah, besides the wickedness that increased, they had a population explosion. And we see that happening in the world today. If you were to look at a population chart, it went from uh, 1 billion in 19th century, 1900 to to. Uh, Two, two and a half billion in 1950, six billion at the turn of the century, and now in the last 10 years, we're up to 8.1 uh, to close to 8.2 billion people, uh, an explosion of growth, and, and, and we are, believe, I believe, in the last days, but, but we live in a day that, that um, has grown in so many luxuries, so many comforts, uh, we have so much to make us comfortable, right? I mean, we live more comfortably than most kings did throughout history. They didn't have central air conditioning, I mean, they didn't have heated and cooled seats. Uh, we, we have it made. You know, you get in a car today, you push number one, and that's, you know, one spouse's seat. Number two, and it, and it changes to the other spouse's seat. But one of the dangers for Christians today is they want their spiritual life to be as comfortable as their physical life. But what we have forgotten is Jesus didn't come with a cushion. He came with a cross. And I want to remind us today that there is a price that Jesus has called us to pay. Not, not for salvation, but out of love. Because love sacrifices. You cannot love someone and it doesn't cost you something. Love is impossible to be free. There is a price. That's why the Bible never defines love with adjectives. It's always verbs. It's always verbs. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 Corinthians 13, when it defines love, it's always action. It's something you do. That's why when somebody says, I don't love them anymore, that doesn't even make sense. It's, it's, it's you're, 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 follow, you're, you're debasing love on a feeling when the Bible bases it on an action. You don't have to feel the action, you just have to do the action. And guess what? Feelings follow willful choice. What you choose to love will become lovely to you. And so Jesus had told the disciples in verse 16, Matthew 10, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He said in verse 17, you're going to face persecution from religion. Verse 18 through 20, he says, you're going to face persecution from the government. Verse 21, he says, you're going to face persecution from your families. Some will even be killed. Verse 22, he says, you're going to be hated of all men. And I mean, with all of those warnings of persecution, you would have thought Jesus would say something like this. You know, you might want to kind of temper your conversations in public since there's so much threat of persecution. You might want to guard your lips and not speak so loud about me because if you do, you might face some, some repercussions. I mean, your life might be on the line, so you might want to like, be a little more quiet. Turn the volume of Jesus down. And, and, and I think the disciples, with all the warnings that Jesus gave from verse 16 through verse 22, that they were probably a little bit like, wow, I mean, you're, you're really putting us like sheep in the midst of wolves. This is, this is not a comfortable picture. But you know what Jesus says to them in verse 26, 28, and 31? Three different times he says, don't fear them, don't fear them, 
don't fear them. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus was a man. Fearless. He is the most fearless person that's ever lived on planet earth. There is no one who had less fear of men than Jesus. He had zero fear. Did not worry. I told you my wife last Saturday jumped out of a plane. Right? I mean, she, she's, just had zero, she's like, you know, I was sitting on the edge of that plane. The door's open and I had zero, There was no fear of it. I'm like, well, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> you know, the night before, that little spider, did I tell you about the spider, yeah? Little spider comes down. I'll tell it to you again if you don't remember. <laughs> every night we go to bed, she looks up, and probably about once every two weeks, there's always a little spider up there. I'm like, ah. Because when you hit it, it'll come down, and it lands on a dark floor, it could run away, and then she's still not at ease. So you have to be very accurate. I mean, you've got to really do this thing. And so... I was teasing her, and the spider was right above her, and, and, and uh, she's, I was like, oh, you know, the spider will be okay, and I turned the light off, and I was teasing her, because I knew she would not sleep, and when mama can't sleep, <laughs> papa ain't sleeping either, so I turned the light off, and she's like, it's going to fall on my face, I'm like, it's not going to fall on your face, I turned the light back on, that thing had descended at least three feet, I mean, it is right <laughs> above her, and uh, so I killed the spider, it, it was a good battle, I won and, uh, with, the, with the spider, and I'm conquering hero for my wife once again. But I can tell you, people fear things. Jesus had no fear, and he calls us to be fearless. He says, do not fear them. Do not fear them. He says, don't even fear the people who can kill you. Don't be afraid of someone seeking even to murder you. Don't fear them. Fear God. That's what he said in verse 28. And so Jesus doesn't say, be silent. He tells us to be public. In the face of threats, verse 32, he says this, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. So after I warn you of the fear, and, and after I warn you, I should say, of all the persecution and tell you not to fear, in the face of all of that that could be so fearful for mankind, I want you to confess me before men. Confess me in a world that hates me. And confess what? Confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Confess that there is no one like him. He is the only Savior. And if you love Christ, you will value him enough to proclaim him. And the result of confessing Christ, verse 32, he says, Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? How you treat me in this world is how I'm going to treat you the day you stand before my Father. If you confess me publicly, that day that you stand before my Father, I'll confess that I know you. How valuable, friend, is it in that day of eternal judgment when you stand before the glory of God for Jesus to confess that you're his? How valuable is that? If that's valuable to you, you better be confessing him in this world. When eternity is before you, will you desire that the eternal one confess you? Many in the days of Jesus were afraid to be public about their faith. John chapter 12, verse 42 and 3, the Bible says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They didn't want to confess him. They knew what it would do to their reputation. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Again, Jesus is saying, how you treat me publicly is exactly how I'm going to treat you the day you stand before my Father. If your mouth and life do not reveal to others your faith in Jesus Christ, you can expect Jesus to deny you as his. 
And Jesus is not speaking of a brief struggle you may have. We've all done this where we weren't maybe as bold as we should have been. Maybe we had a lapse in our courage. What Jesus, even Peter denied Christ at one night, but it wasn't night after night. It was one night. Jesus here is speaking of a continual lifestyle of denial of Christ, the absence of his presence in your life. He warned many who think they will be saved will one day find out that they're actually not saved. Their life of denying Christ here will find Christ denying them on the day of judgment. I mean, isn't that what Matthew 7, 23 says? When Jesus says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. He repeats this in Matthew 25, 12. Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Paul reiterates this in 2 Timothy 2, 12. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. I would ask you this, friend. Do your life and your lips confess that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Does your life and lips confess that? Perhaps, perhaps one of the best ways you can test this is if I went to the 10 closest people in your life, the 10 closest family, maybe your five closest family members and the five closest friends in this world. And I pulled them aside privately and I said, hey, hey, is, uh, is, is Brandon, is your friend Brandon, is he a Christian? Is he a follower of Jesus Christ? Is, is, is Julie a Christian? Is, and if I, if whatever your name, if I were to say, is, is this person a, a follower of Jesus Christ? Would, what would they say to me? And you're not there. And so they're going to, they, they're just going to share it. Would they say, oh yeah, they're a believer in Jesus Christ. They've told me about Jesus more than once. They've invited me to church. They've told me about these things. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about them. Or would they say, I don't know. They've never really said anything to me about it. We've never had any spiritual conversations. I, I don't know. I mean, if they are, it's, it would be news to me. If your friend says that, I can tell you what Jesus will say about you one day. It's what he says here. Because you have clearly denied him. You have been... And you know what, you know what people say? You know, um, you know uh, my faith is private. People say today, you know, there's two things that you can't talk about in public, God and politics. Um, well, did Jesus believe your faith could be private? Did Jesus believe in private faith? No. He said, he said in the face of persecution, in the face of sheep in the midst of wolves, and if there's wolves, you probably want to be quiet. You know, if there's wolves roaming around and you're a sheep, you don't want to be baying too loud because they could come after you, right? You kind of want to be quiet. I'm not going to do that noise again. That's a one-shot thing. That's While I was doing it, I thought I shouldn't have done that. But you, you, you know what I mean? If, you, if, you're, if you're a sheep in the midst of wolves, you're just not going to be that noisy. And Jesus says, I want you to be noisy for me. I want you to be loud. It's going to cost me something. And Jesus says, oh, I know. Join the, t- join, join, join the price of, of, of living for truth in a world of lies. I didn't, I didn't bring a cushion. You thought it was going to be easy, right? That's, that's called the broad path of Christianity. Uh, it's labeled the way to heaven, but it's actually taking people to hell. That's, that's, there's people in Texas that preach like that in a big church, and I won't name them, but you know who they are. We, we friends, 
are called to follow Jesus. And he said, it's a narrow path and it's restricted. And Jesus says, few find it because they don't want to take Jesus' terms. It's just not comfortable. It's not easy. And so I would ask, can a mother hide a child in their womb? When a woman's nine months pregnant, you don't have to guess whether she's pregnant. And if you can't hide a baby in your womb, how can you hide the eternal God in your life? How little must your God be if nobody knows about him? A private faith, according to the Bible, is a dead faith. True believers are known because the fruit of their lips and their life evidence the prince of life dwells within them. Today, some of you need to go public with your faith. Some of you need to stop being ashamed and go public with your faith. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. Wednesday night, a 47-year-old man walked the aisle, and he had gotten saved last week, and he just wanted to make it known that, hey, I trusted in Jesus Christ. Be public about your faith. You know, one of the ways that you can be public about your faith that God designed is baptism. Baptism is an external picture of your inward faith. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. We had baptisms in the morning. We'll have a Marian getting baptized in the second service. You know what Marion's testimony is today? He unashamedly stands up here, says he's not good enough to get to heaven, and Jesus Christ alone is his Savior. It's, it's publicly... Do you think heaven saw that? You know, there may be 650 or so people that hear that today in the service, but there is, there is a God in heaven that witnessed that. People say, well, you know, I'm, I, just, I don't like getting up in front of people. I just want to... I, 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 I don't... Oh, oh, does it make you nervous? Does it make you nervous? I understand that. I mean, the first time I ever, ever preached, I was so scared. My hand was shaking. I could not read. I was choking on my collar. The worst grade I ever got in college was in public speaking. It's the lowest grade I ever had. I was, I was terrified. I hated it. I thought, God, you have called the wrong man. <laughs> I, I am not going to do this for a living. No, I can't do it. You know what? Um, Christ has called you to be public, and baptism is part of that. If, if you were getting married and you said, you know what, I, I really don't want to be public in our marriage. Can we go do that private somewhere? I really don't want anybody to see that. How would your spouse feel, right? So why would you treat Jesus like that? Friend, think about it. Jesus calls these disciples that we're reading about to be public in their faith, in a day when they were facing great persecution and sacrificing at times even their lives. And if he tells people facing death not to fear, but to be public in their faith, even at the cost of their life, what does it say about you if you won't get baptized in the safety of a church in front of people that would applaud you? I can tell you, um, your obedience or disobedience to that command evidences pretty much whether you're truly saved or not. There is no such thing in the New Testament of somebody who got saved and rejected the baptism. There's no, it doesn't exist. If you are unashamed of Christ, he will be unashamed of you. But I tell you what, friends, I, I want Christ to know me when I get to heaven. I want him to have no doubt that Josh Bevan was a believer in Jesus Christ. I care more, so much more what Christ thinks of me than what the world thinks of me. But even in, in, in that, there's times where that fear of man can grab a hold of us, right? We can be silent. We can be a little timid. And in those days, we've got to come back to this and say, Christ, I love you more. 
In Luke 9.26, Jesus says, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his Father and the holy angels. Jesus drives the point home that people deny him because they're ashamed of him. You know, sometimes teenagers are, and, and, and dads and moms are ashamed of Jesus so they don't get public about him in front of their peers. Don't do that. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Pray for your food in public. Tell others, tell others of Christ. I'm not talking about shoving it down their throat. I'm talking about being real, being genuine. I mean, some of us are unashamed to be Buckeye fans, which is actually a good thing. You know, some teams I would be ashamed of being. You know, I could name some, but I won't, like the Browns or the Steelers. So I'll just, you know, I don't want to offend people, obviously, so I'll keep that to myself. Very private about that. You know. But there are things that people, we can be very public about things, right? We can be very public, and if we're public about our favorite sports teams, how could we not be public about our Savior, Jesus Christ? The difference between a true Christian and a false Christian is this. A false Christian will be silent about their faith. A true Christian will be open and unashamed. A true Christian also is not ashamed of Jesus. Rather, a true Christian is actually ashamed of himself. They'll say, you know what? I'm not worthy of salvation. I'm ashamed of my lack of love for Christ. I'm ashamed that I haven't been as faithful to the Lord as I have been. But a false Christian, a false Christian who says they're saved, but they're not truly saved, will boast of their own goodness. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I think I've done pretty good. And they, they, they speak of how wonderful they are. A true believer will profess how wonderful Christ is. Number two, not only do we have to value Christ above our comfort and confess him. Secondly, Christ must be valued above our families. Look at verse 34. He says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I thought Jesus was called the Prince of Peace in the Bible. I thought when the angels sang from heaven, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Why is he talking here? If he came as a Prince of Peace, why then does he talk about bringing a sword? Well, here's why. Because the world's filled with lies and deception under the rule and domain of, the, of darkness. The Bible calls Satan the Prince of this world. So when light truth, Jesus Christ comes in the world, there will be a conflict that happens. There will be those who believe in Christ and those who reject Christ. There will be children of God and children of the devil, and there will sometimes that happen inside of homes. There will be animosity and enmity. There will be division. Christ creates that. He's so valuable to one, and he's so not valued by the other. There will be a division and Jesus says this conflict will rise up in families. In verse 35, look what he says. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against his mother, or her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus made clear division would rise up in the family. So what do you do? What do you do? Does Jesus say, you know what? You need to place family harmony over, over me. What, what you need to do is you just temper it, you know, if, if they don't want you talking about me, then just that's between them and you. And just don't say anything about me. I know, I know your heart. I know you believe in me. Just, just calm it down. Don't talk to them about me. Don't bring me up. Don't stir the pot. You know, it's important for you guys to keep your relationship there. It's important for you guys to maintain closeness. It's, important, it's, it's more important for you guys to stay connected than for you to bring me up and then cause division. I mean, that's what we thought he would have said, because that's how we reason it in our minds. 
You know what Jesus said? Let the division come. Obey me over them. If they tell you not to speak of me and I tell you to speak of me, you love me more than them. You place me over your family. Better to abandon your family than me. Better to be a child of God than a child of your family. The world doesn't understand that, but I can tell you Jesus said, that's how valuable I am. I'm so valuable that it would be better to be a child of God than a child of your family. That's why he says this in verse number 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Why do you think he talked about it in the terms of children? Because people like to put their kids above God. He says, you place your family behind him. Listen to, listen to our Lord's response concerning his own earthly family. In Luke eleven twenty seven, it says, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Blessed is your mom that gave birth to you and nursed you. And Jesus said, Oh, she is so blessed. Hail Mary, full of grace, mother of our Lord. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Is that what he says? No. No, that's, that's not what he says. He says, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You're more blessed than Mary if you hear the word of God and keep it. If Mary doesn't obey the word of God, she is no more blessed than you if you hear the word of God and keep it. Also in Luke's gospel, in Luke 8, 20 and 21, Jesus began to preach. His mom and brothers are like trying to calm him down because it's just blowing up this ministry thing Jesus is doing. It's just, it's just getting out of hand. It's too much. And in Luke 8, 20, it says, And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and brethren stand without desiring to see thee. They, they want to talk to you. They're like, this is like interrupting his evangelistic endeavor here. And he answered and said to them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Man, nobody saw that coming. You know who they are? It's people like you if you hear God's word and keep it. Over and over, the Lord declared that we prioritize God. And the way we prioritize him is prioritizing his word and obedience to his word. So often today, people say, you know, my kids are number one in my life. You know, I've had people say, you know, what? I don't want to get, I don't want to get saved because my kids are number one in my life. Uh, the Bible teaches your kids aren't even supposed to be number two. I mean, they're at three at best. I mean, it's supposed to be God, your spouse, and then the kids. And the greatest way we love our family is to love Christ most. You think it helps your kids to make them your idol? Listen to me very closely. This is, this is I would need to teach on this for an extended period to, to explain it all, but just know this is a fact. As a fact from a pastor who's ministered for 20 years, I promise you this. You make your kids number one, and they'll one day hate you for it. They will turn on you and rip your heart out. I guarantee it. Show me every parent that put their kids number one and those kids have slaughtered their parents' hearts. They will rip it out and with no mercy. 
They are a false god. You do not enshrine them on your heart. And you will destroy them by idolizing them. Believe me when I say that. Believe me, a pastor who has ministered to hundreds and hundreds of parents and families with kids and dealt with a lot of this. You do not give them when you put them number one. You rob them. If I hate my children, I put them as the God of my life. If I love my children, I keep the Lord Jesus Christ number one because it's only when he sits on the throne that I can love them correctly. I'll mess the whole thing up. The man, John Bunyan, was a man who understood that. He was a great Puritan preacher, 17th century. The Anglican church at that time said you can only go to an Anglican church in England. They set out an edict that said you cannot meet with more than one, more than five people that are not a part of your family in a religious gathering. Well, he was a Baptist preacher, so he was a little rebellious. So he kept preaching. They threw him in, in prison. And they said, we will let you out of prison if you stop preaching, if you just shut your mouth. He could not. At the time, he had four children and a wife. His oldest daughter was blind. And he writes this, the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. He was so torn. But he says, I cannot deny my faith in Christ. I cannot be silent. He died at 59 years of age. And it was while he was in prison that he wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, which is one of the most powerful presentations of the gospel ever recorded and has gone down to be the second most read English book in human history. They have translated it now into over 200 languages. The Bible's number one, Pilgrim's Progress is number two. And today, Bunyan's in heaven with his family. Do you value Christ above your comfort? Do you value Christ above your family? You know the prayer I pray for my children? I plead with God for this. I, I, have, I have four daughters. One got married this last year, and I got three more, and I, I plead with God every week for this. God, please give my daughters a man that loves you more than they'll ever love my girls. Please, God. I beg God for that. Because if, if they ever marry someone who loves them most, it's going to jack their family up. It's going to cause so many problems. It'll ruin them. But I know if they marry someone who loves Christ most, then and only then can they love them, can they love my daughters right. So God, I, play, I plead with you that that would happen. Parents, if you're not praying that for your kids, you need to. Thirdly, Christ must be valued above not only your comfort, not only your family, but it needs to be valued above your life. Let me remind you, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is like, let me tell you what's really real. I'm worth more than you, and I'm worth you dying for. I'm so valuable that it would be better for you to die than to deny me. I am of in eternal value. You, you don't realize that, but so often as mankind is, is we don't, but, but that is what the Lord is saying here. Verse 38, he says, and he that taketh not his cross, by the way, that's the first time the word cross is used in the Gospels. 
This is, this is entry of the, of, of, of the word. And he that taketh not his electric chair, the, the cross, the sign of horrifying death, and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life shall find it. Jesus is calling us to something that in our culture is so hard to grasp. I mean, we live in the self-loving, self-focused, self-esteem, self-self. I mean, they have this selfie place up at the mall somebody sent me where you can go in and there's like 20 some places where you can get selfies now. I mean, really? If, if you take pictures of yourself every day, let me give you some advice. Stop it! Stop it! Well, I just want to see how I look in this. You know, Stop it! Don't do that. And everybody over 40 said, <laughs> there's some guilt with some of the over 40s. Did you all hear that? Yes, sir. And all the teens told the 40 and overs. <laughs> They're like convicted as charged. That's right. But we live in this world where, where we get very focused on ourselves. And Jesus says, I want you to come and abandon yourself. Self-denial and self-death. Paul got this. Paul understood this. He wrote to Galatians in church there in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. When you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of Jesus. Jesus says, give up all that you are to have all that he is. And friends, that's a deal of an eternity. Would you sell everything you have and all that you are and give up your very life for all that he is? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, Jesus says, I am so valuable that if you understood this, you would be willing to sell everything. I am the pearl of great price, the treasure, that if you understood when a man gets that understanding, when they realize how valuable he is, they would sell and give up everything in their life to have Christ. Is that how you view Christ in your life? Is he that valuable to you? Again, that's why the way is straight, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few find it because he's, his terms are too hard for people to get. It's just too heavy. And notice the warning in verse 39. He says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Those who die to themselves are the actual ones who live. And those who live are the ones who are living as a dead man. You know, this reality is found in nature. It takes death to produce life. When a seed is planted into the ground, it decomposes. And the seed form of that dies, in essence, to become the plant, the crop, or the flower that it was designed to become. But if it retains its seed form, and it's not willing to de decompose and die from its seed form, it will never become what it was designed to become. And there's a lot of people that are like in the form of a seed, like Matthew 13, and they just keep landing on hard soil. They're not willing to crucify themselves and be buried into Christ's deaths so that they might live the life that God called them to be. They're like a caterpillar who won't go into the chrysalis to become a butterfly. They just stay in their sluggish form. There's so much more. There's so much more. 
John 12, 24, Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it's going to bring forth much fruit. It's when a Christian gives herself fully to Christ. Not only does that bring salvation to the soul who comes to Christ, but it will bring fruitfulness to your life. You plant your life in his death and you will live his life on this earth. John 12, 25, Jesus says, he that loves his life shall lose it. But he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What are you living for? Do you value Christ over your comfort? Do you value Christ even over your family? And do you value Christ even over your life? And one last thing and we'll be done. Christ must be valued in his messengers. And that's how he wraps up verse 40 through 42 in this chapter 10. What happens is this. When you value Christ more than comfort, more than family, and more than your life, you will be so identified with Christ that when people value you, they value him. When they value you, they value him. There are actually four terms that Jesus uses here of those who are followers of Christ and here of his disciples. He calls them prophets, the righteous, little ones, and disciples. The word prophet refers to them as being a spokesman for God. Righteous speaks of their um, moral character. Little one speaks of their humility and dependence on Christ. And disciple speaks of them and their following Jesus. And so the Lord speaks to the reward of those who reward his servants. In verse 40, he says, he that receives you receives me. And he that receives me, receives the one that sent me. He expands on this in verse 41. He says, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. What he's saying is when you go and preach men, and he's calling out 12 disciples to go preach, he says, You're going to be hated, and there's going to be persecution, and there's going to be threats, and you don't need to fear, and you need to value me above all these things. But there will be some who trust the message. They will receive you, and and they will receive the gospel. And when they receive you, they are going to receive eternal rewards. They, they, they are going, as they value you, they are valuing Christ. You know, last Sunday morning, you, he wasn't here in the late service, but in the early service, there was a pastor with us. It's one of our missionaries. His name's Russ Turner. He has been ministering in the Amazon jungle for 45 years. He goes to places you and I would never, ever want to go. He ministers in villages. We have sent them thousands and, and thousands of dollars that they're going in and building for like a couple thousand bucks like a church they build the bamboo sticks and they pays to get the concrete and they do the people there do all the work it's crazy they go in and launch churches they built like 11 churches last year praise god that we can be a part of something like that he was with us last sunday morning and 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 i told the early service it's you need to view a missionary like that when they come here as though like somebody of royalty just came into the building you need to treat God's prophets like that with great honor. I said, hey, if you got a few extra bucks in your hand, put it in the guy's hand. Let him know you're praying for him. Let him know you support him. I don't know who gave him what, but he said, man, there was, he gave me the exact dollar amount. He said, your church put a lot of money in my hand when I was leaving. You know, we gave him a check to support him here, but, but, uh, And he gave me the exact dollar amount, told me exactly what all that's going for. This is one of the most faithful men of God. But what I'm trying to say is this. When you support, when you bless, when you don't get so caught up in eating potatoes and gravy for lunch, and you got the football game to go to, and you got this over here, and you miss out on all these opportunities to minister and to bless and to serve. Listen, every single one of our days, there is opportunities of eternal reward by ministering and blessing and accepting the things of God, passing those truths on. God is a rewarding God. 
The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He will reward you. And it's not about just seeking reward. It's about our reward is not the gifts from God. It's the giver. Jesus is our reward. But I can tell you this. He makes it clear over and over. He's like, don't lay up treasure on earth where it corrupts. He says, lay it up in heaven. I'm going to tell you how to do that. I mean, do that. Look what he says in verse 42. And whosoever shall give to drink one of these little ones a cold water to my name. And again, the little ones talking about those who are faithful to Christ, proclaiming his message. Uh, in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And what he's saying there is this. A cup of water was the smallest act of kindness that you could give somebody who's ministering and, and serving. Give him a cup of water is just something very minuscule. And he's saying, even if you do that, you'll be eternally rewarded. You remember in Matthew 25 when, when there's unbelievers who stand before God and believers? And he's telling the believers, he said, he said, when I was hungry, you gave me to meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in a place, you... And, and, he, and, and he's, these people in heaven are like, when did we ever do that? And he's like, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Do you, do you understand? Does that make sense? Every week of your life, you get to minister to Jesus by ministering to the people sitting around you. you Jesus has come in the form of people like your wife, your husband. You say, well, they don't look like Jesus. Well, neither do you. <laughs> but Jesus wants you to love people like you would love him. Kids to your parents, parents to your children, coworkers. Every week you get to go into the world and you get to serve Jesus. You work for your boss like you're working for Jesus. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, do it as unto the Lord and not as unto men. We, every day of our life, as I close, I say this, do you value Christ? Do you value him above your comfort? Would the people in your life say you confess Christ openly? If you've never been baptized, you need to ask Christ to forgive you of putting that off and get baptized. You need to come today and say, I'm going to commit to do that. Come next week to foundations class. I'll sit down with you and we'll go through that study. We have a bunch of people in there now. We get new people every week going in there. Do you value Christ above your family? In what ways are you showing your family you value Christ above them? Do you value Christ above your own life? I mean, the 40 soldiers of Sebastian were willing to die because they believed in Christ. Do you value those who represent Christ, who proclaim his message? To value Christ most is to value what is true and real most.